Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for laughter. Uh, I even thank you for just the fun that um, we can go back and forth with the West Liberty people and West Liberty people to us, and that what we realize, Father, is the world and worldly people might argue over that, but in Christ there's unity. So I thank you for the unity that you bring uh, within the church. Father, I ask today that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and feet that have boldness that want to run towards obedience. Father, help our minds comprehend. Give us fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the other thing I'll just say, mention real quick, is Stu and Tamara took an impromptu trip in Arkansas. That's what it's called, right? Arkansas. So they, they, took a, um, they took a trip to Arkansas. So we want to pray for just a time of refreshment and safe travel for them because, um, you know, Pastor Stu does a ton of work for this church and uh, a ton of work, phone calls and ministering and listening and uh, meetings and notes. And he's been an elder for 15-plus years. And... Um, he won't accept a dime from us. And it's just such a blessing that, um, you know, that they are to our church and to families and kind of just that um, rock-solid family. They've been here for many years. So we want to just pray a time of refreshment for them. Amen? All right. All right, so what a journey it's been through John. We're finally in the last chapter. I think Jonathan said we've been doing it for eight, nine months. So we're coming to an end. And then we will be in Matthew 5 through 7 for another eight months. Or eight weeks. So, um, yeah, there's been a lot of things that we have learned through this book. But up to this point, there's been many things that we've learned about the disciples. Right? Often what we try to do is we, we try to make the disciples into these perfect saints or that we need to hold them in this high esteem. And what I've realized is there's going to be one person that I hold into a high esteem, and that is Jesus. No disciple or apostle saves me. No disciple or apostle renews me. The one person that I hold to esteem and believe that Scripture tells us that we all should hold in high esteem is Jesus in Jesus alone. Amen? So even though the disciples have been written about and have experienced this closeness with Jesus, they often make mistakes. And those mistakes are not for us to justify our mistakes. They're actually to point to God's faithfulness in that while someone makes a mistake, he still loves them. Amen? God is faithful in your mistakes today. God is faithful in my mistakes today. But the disciples and Peter have made many mistakes up to this point in John. Um, the disciples, including Peter, often didn't understand what Jesus was teaching. The disciples, including Peter, often tried to keep people and little kids from Jesus. We just read that in the Bible reading plan. That the disciples were trying to keep people and little kids away from Jesus. And he's like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Peter falls when Jesus tells him to walk on water. Peter, filled with pride, argues with other disciples who is the greatest. Peter, after the transfiguration, tries to build a shelter. Peter tries to keep Jesus from going to the cross, the very reason that he came. Peter doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet. Peter said he would never deny Jesus. Peter falls asleep when Jesus asks him to keep watch and pray. Peter cuts off a dude's ear and trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. 
And then finally what happens is Peter denies Jesus and calls down curses. Peter was messed up, right? Peter didn't have it all together. And that's where we start today, is just remembering that Peter made a bunch of mistakes. John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. How many of you guys have ever went fishing and caught nothing? What a waste of time. Like, I can go golfing and still stink at it, but I at least enjoy the weather and the course. If you go fishing and, well, I guess you can enjoy the lake and the nature as well. I think I've gone fishing like three times my whole life, so I don't know anything about it. Um, so what it appears to be happening right here is, is Peter appears to be having a rough season. So what do people who like to fish do when they have a rough season? They go fishing. So Peter decided to go fishing. He just needed to get away. And scripture isn't acutely clear here, but I can imagine a scenario that Peter realizes he's messed up for one final time. He was confronted with his weaknesses and maybe even his strengths as well. What ends up happening then is, is the list of things, the denial, the betrayal, right? The falling into the water, the falling asleep when Jesus needed him to be awake, the cutting off of the ear. It seemed like everything that Peter tried to do for God was wrong. It didn't work out the way that he wanted. Anyone ever been there? You try to do something good and it just turns right back on you. So I can imagine a scenario here that Peter's feeling the weight and the guilt of the person that he was following has now died and he could never even make it right. But then to have the audacity to say, surely I'll never deny you, I won't do that. But yet he did it anyways. And then, after he did it, he couldn't even speak to him to make it right. Those were his, essentially, last words to Jesus. I'll never deny you. And then he denied him. His mouth got him in trouble one more time. And what it was was denying the Savior. So he wanted to get away. He went fishing. I see a possibility, though, of Peter contemplating leaving his calling. He wanted to be a fisherman again. Some people, some theologians will preach it that way, others won't. But imagine this possibility. Um, if you've been in ministry, um, you can probably relate to this a little bit. But man, you mess up and then you just want to call it quits. Or things aren't good at home, you just want to call it quits. So Peter messes up. And what was Peter before he became a disciple? A fisherman. So what he said is, I've messed up one too many times. So what I'm going to do is, because I've messed up one too many times, I'm just going to leave this discipleship stuff. I'm going to leave this discipleship stuff, and I'm just going to return to what I'm comfortable with. I'm going to return to what I know. So I can see a scenario by which 
Peter just realized in the shame that came on him, the guilt, the weight of his sin came on him. And he said, I just have to leave. I have to get out of here. I have to pursue what I'm comfortable with. And um, sometimes I get mad at God because um, there's some days that I just want to quit too. I just want to return to whatever my old life was. But then I realized, well, what was my old life? I didn't have an old life. I'm not qualified to do anything other than this right now. Like, not good with tools. Can't read enough to be a teacher. Um, not smart enough to be an attorney. I can argue, but not smart enough to be an attorney. So I sometimes get mad, like, God, I just want to quit. And then I'm like, but what would I do? I can't do anything except just be obedient here. So then I start my mower, and I just start mowing my own grass, right? I could see the scenario by which Peter just wanted to leave. He wanted to leave his call. How could I be used? I'm not qualified. My sin is too great. So because he felt unqualified, because he felt like his sin was too great, because he felt like maybe he was unforgivable, he wanted to quit. Anyone ever felt like their sin disqualified you from being used by Jesus again? Participating. See, it's in those moments where you sin and you fall short and that shame comes on you and you hide from Jesus that you say, I'll never be used again. I'm not good enough. I'll make it very clear to you. Works do not get you to heaven, right? It's not about your work so that no one can, so that you cannot boast. It's all about Jesus. If sin was the disqualification, only one person could ever be used. You know who that one person is? Jesus. Now, I, I don't want to be permissive in the sermon either. So, I also want to say this with that. Sin is not the disqualification of you being used. But if you're being dominated by sin during a season, it might not be your season. Amen? If you're just struggling with certain sin, it's not time for your leadership or for you to be in leadership. What it's time for you to do then is to go to leadership and go to a friend. Go to the church and say, can you pray that I could be restored? But I'm not sure that there's any... No. Based upon Jesus' blood, there's no sin that's unforgivable. Now, we know that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That'll be a whole nother sermon, right? The other scenario that could be at play here is that he went back to the place that he met Jesus in hopes to see him again or rekindle the fire that he once had. If you remember how Peter received his calling when Jesus came to him and asked him to be a disciple, Here's the scenario. It's just Luke 5. I'm just going to give you cliff notes. Guess where Jesus met him? He was fishing. They were not catching anything. Jesus told him to put his net down. Peter obeyed. Um, caught so many fish that the net was about to break. Jesus tells him to become a fisher of men. Peter leaves everything to do it. So maybe what's ended up happening here is maybe Peter wasn't rebel or rebelling and leaving his call, right? Maybe what Peter was doing is saying, what if I went back to the place where I once met Jesus? See, because the book of Revelation tells us, it says, look, look how far you have fallen. So what we're supposed to do is remember how far we have fallen, repent of our um, sins and then redo the works we did at first. So maybe what Peter's doing here is, is he's remembered how far he's fallen, right? He's trying to repent of his sin, but he's redoing the works that he did at first. So he just goes back to the place where Jesus called him. whether it was Peter leaving his call or whether he was looking to catch fire again. 
Jesus shows up in a similar way as he did when he was first called, when Peter was first called. So remember, well, I'll get there. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, the disciple who, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. First off, let's just address the weird part here. Why is Peter fishing naked? What's going on here? Or is he in his whitey tighties? You guys see that? The scripture said he had to put on his outer garment. What's this dude doing? And then, instead of just taking the boat in, he's so passionate about getting to Jesus, he puts it on to swim. See, I don't know if you guys know this, but Michael Phelps just swam in his whitey tidy. But Peter's putting more weight on him. He's not thinking straight because he's so excited. I'm not going to preach on that today, though. But next week, um, the excitement of the Lord to be like David and to unrobe yourself and to be like Peter and fish in your whitey tidies. Next week's sermon title. Dave, you got a skit for that? All right, thank you. <laughs> so, so here's what we have to realize here is the scene that's taking place here. Do you guys remember? Again, this is very similar. Jesus shows up at the Sea of Galilee in a very similar way in the scene, the fish, right? So Jesus met Peter fishing. They were not catching anything. So right here, what do we see? Jesus shows up on the shore. They're not catching anything. Jesus told them to put their net down. This time he says, put the net on your right. They did it. They obeyed. What happened after that? They caught so many fish that the nets were almost breaking. Jesus then, what we know comes next, is he's going to tell them to be a fisher of men. He's going to tell Peter here in a second to feed my sheep. I believe Jesus was recreating the scene for Peter to remind him that he is still called to be a disciple in spite of his sin. See, being that he was fishing, it would have reminded him of all that he turned his back on to follow Jesus. Being that he was at the Sea of Galilee, Peter should be reminded of the many times and the things that he saw Jesus move powerfully. See, God will use our emotions and God will use the nature to remind us of things, his, his glory and his splendor. So God's recreating this scenario to bring alive Peter's emotions and who he is, to be reminded of all who Jesus was. So they're at the Sea of Galilee, right? Peter has to remember Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. He has to remember Jesus walking on water and, and himself even trying to walk on water. He has to remember catching fish with the coin or Jesus calming the storm. So Jesus is re recreating this scenario, and I believe... I believe um, that where we met Jesus, that we can go meet him there again. Amen? And I believe that Peter was meeting Jesus again. 
Let's continue to see how this pans out, though. Verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. This is interesting real quick. Um, there was 153 fish, and the net was about to break, but Peter just carried this net. So it's like God almost provided him maybe some supernatural strength in this moment. And some people, you know, have speculations of why it was 153 fish. Some people say that during that time there was only 153 um, varieties of fish. Um, so Jesus was saying that um, who he wants to gather is inclusive to every tribe, tongue, and nation, which was an interesting perspective. Other people do some number math that then suggest, um, yeah, tribes and nations and um, some other things. But I thought it was interesting that Peter had the strength in this moment to pull that net up. But um, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we want to look at verse 9. And our point for this is this, is a reminder of sins past can be the aroma of forgiveness and commissioning. See, verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. How many of you guys will hear a song and it'll take you back to high school? Just immediately that sense takes you back. Or perfume or cologne it just immediately takes you back to that season. There's some perfume. I get around my mom, and all I remember is being that car sick perfume in the arm bars in the car. I mean, every time I smell her, I just get, feel like I'm back in that Pontiac getting the arm bar and screamed at and car sick. So now you know why I buy her new perfume every year. Mom, I don't like being around you. It's not because I don't love you. It's because every time I, I feel like I'm getting yelled at. <laughs> so there's this scenario by which our senses tell us something, right? Well, what happened with Peter is what we, what we learned from, I believe it was John 17, is Peter ended up denying Christ. And he, and, he, and he finds himself getting ready to deny Christ, right? And Jesus tells him, hey, someone will deny me today. And Peter's like, no, it won't be me. But then he finds himself in the scenario by which he does. But what was happening at that scene before he denied Christ is there was a burning fire. And fire and hot coals and wood have a smell, so it's like Jesus is almost recreating this scene so that he can give Peter freedom from that sense of guilt. And it was in the morning. And in Peter's denial, what did we realize? Is Jesus said, you will deny me before the rooster crows three times. What happens in the morning? Roosters crow. So Jesus is meeting Peter and the other disciples in the morning around a fire to change what that aroma meant to him. And there are certain things in our life that Jesus also wants to set us free. When Peter first arrived ashore, he had to be reminded of when he denied Jesus. I really believe that Jesus didn't want Peter's last memory of fire to be about how he denied Jesus. Rather, he wanted it to be a memory of how Jesus would forgive him. Amen? How Jesus would restore him to a place of purpose. 
So now what Jesus is trying to do is say that the aroma of the fire serves as a reminder of God's forgiveness, not Peter's shame. Amen? I wonder what fire, what fires in your life God wants to return to a place or forgive or allow us um, to have a sweet aroma of freedom. What fires are in your life? Time that you're by a fire. Or when you yelled at someone. Or every time you pass this certain scene. Or what your phone or your computer or a person reminds you of. God wants to renew and restore that. See, though our reminders of sin's past can be an aroma of forgiveness and commissioning, we have to be willing to repent as well. Peter was provided here with an opportunity to repent at breakfast. And what I've learned about repentance is repentance doesn't keep you in one spot. See, we can't say I repent and still remain where we are. So walking in repentance coexists with going. Walking in repentance means that there's movement in our life. And what I've seen upon scripture is we cannot repent and stay where we are. So when I'm up here um, using God's word to spur us on, go out and make disciples. Share the good news with your neighbor this week. Right? Preach the good news. Serve the least of these. Run from sin. When I'm preaching these things, and, and some of us are getting tired of like, why do you keep on preaching about me going and doing and doing and doing? Because I realize that repentance has a movement to it. As we go, that's actually, I believe, a demonstration of our repentance and our humility before God. So that's why I say faith without works is dead. And actually, I don't even say it. Scripture does. That's why scripture says faith without works is dead. So what I'm telling you today is I don't believe that there's repentance without movement. And you're like, well, show me some scripture. See, first, repentance is stopping one thing and turning, walking towards God. So there's not repentance without movement towards God. Many times throughout scripture, repentance coexists with an action. We can't just think that we come to God and we say, God, I'm sorry, that's a confession, right? I'm sorry for my action, forgive me, in Jesus' name, amen. Confession. Repentance means that then I take that confession with a renewed heart and a renewed mind and I take an action towards Christ. So I turn from my sin and I turn to God. So I want to show you other times in Scripture where repentance is followed by a movement Repent and forgive them, Luke 17, 3. For time's sake, I'm not going to read the scriptures. You can write them down. But these, this is what immediately follows after repent. Repent and be baptized, Acts 2, 38. Repent and then turn to God, Acts 3, 19. Repent and pray, Acts 8, 22. Repent and do the things you did at first, Revelation 2, 21. Repent and glorify him. Repent of what they had done, Revelation 16, 11. Repentance always calls us to an action, and that action is always towards God. So to help us understand this, that if we feel like we've repented, but there's not been an action towards Christ, we probably haven't repented. Now, that very confession is also a movement. But there's often, after we repent, there's more. Amen? Amen. 
So that's, that's gonna help us understand have we truly repented? Have we truly given, um, given this area to God? Because if we have, we turn from that sin, and then there's often a movement. God always calls us to fill that house again. We understand in Scripture, right, uh, the parable that Jesus shares. He says, suppose a man, um, there were a bunch of demons in a house, and the house gets swept clean, right? And then that demon comes back, and the house is empty. He brings seven of his buddies to fill it. Essentially, if we repent and we don't fill that space, we don't take action, then our house is going to be filled with seven of Satan's buddies. So what repentance, what repentance calls us to is to turn from God and then fill our house, fill our being, fill our temple with God, with him, with action, with movement. So any repentance that doesn't take action, I'm afraid that then that person might be filled with their problem seven times worse. So when Jesus now shows up for breakfast with Peter, there is what I see as an offer of repentance. Jesus will offer his forgiveness, and in that, then he commissions Peter. So Jesus shows up, Peter, I love you, I care for you. You, you still have purpose. And he's gonna offer this, this repentance to him, but Peter's gonna have to take action on it. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Do something. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep in action. Peter, was, um, yeah, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus comes here to restore Peter out of his potential rebellion and leaving of his call just as Jesus comes to restore you and I today. Jesus is here today to restore you and I out of our guilt and shame. But if Peter would have remained there at the fire fishing, he never would have been restored. So Peter is now provided with an opportunity to repent. He says, hey, if you love me, then do what I say, repent, turn to me, follow me. Feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. Many suggest that that was the cover, three of Peter's denials. But what's interesting is that the love that Jesus and Peter are talking about is different. Many of you may have heard this. Many of you may not. Jesus is asking him for a agapao love in the original language, which is a deep, deep commitment. It is sacrificial love. Do you really love me? Are you willing to sacrifice things for me? What Peter was using was phileo love, which is, I'm just kind of fond of you. I care about you, but fond of you. And it wasn't that Peter was doing anything bad here. Jesus is saying, if you love me, then love others. If you're committed to me, then love others. Feed them the good news of Jesus. Again, what we see here is Jesus is comparing our love for him with an action. That message hurts, doesn't it? It hurts me. It hurts because I want to love me. I'm speaking for me. I'm not speaking for you. 
I want to love me, and I want to love Macy, and then I want to love whoever's really easy to love. Can I get a witness? That's what I want to do. But what Jesus is saying is our love for him then calls us to love others. He says, Peter, if you love me, then you're going to love others. If you love me, then go feed my sheep. Joey, if you love me, then go feed my sheep. Stu and Tamara, if you love me, then go feed my sheep. Macy, if you love me, then go feed my sheep. Our love for Christ is not sitting in our whitey tidies 100 yards offshore, fishing, running from him. Now, there's moments for that. If there was love in Peter's heart, he is going to obey Jesus in feeding sheep. Following Jesus means that our priorities will radically change. Instead of serving ourselves, we will serve Christ's sheep. Our focus will not be on us, but it will be on others. Jesus was coming to tell Peter, yeah, you've sinned, you made a mistake, but I've forgiven all of that. I am who I said I am. Peter, you have, look, the church, just like us, we have all, most of us in here, we have all the knowledge about God's grace. We have all the knowledge about who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done for Peter here is this, is he, he, he taught for three years. The disciples knew the Old Testament scriptures. So they knew about the Savior to come. They knew about the Savior's grace. They knew about the Savior's mercy. And now what ended up happening is Jesus has come back to Peter after resurrecting the grave to say, everything that you read about, everything that I taught you about is true. So if everything I taught you about and if everything I say is true, then what you know is this, is you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, and it's only about me. So quit having your pity party, Peter, in your whitey tidies fishing, and if you love me, go feed my sheep. He didn't need the message of grace anymore. He already knew it. So what Jesus came to do is he came to confirm it to him. I am the message of grace. I am who I say I am. So since I've proved it to you again and again and again, and I'm meeting you here, I'm calling you to go do what I called you to do at first, and not just to be a fisherman, but to be a fisher of men. In church, I ask you this as well. We, like Peter, know about God's grace. We know about his mercy. We know about his forgiving power. So why is it we get caught fishing in our whitey tidies as often as we do? If we know about it, what Jesus is telling us is, look, I love you, I forgive you, I'm meeting you where you are, you know about these things. If you love me, just go feed my sheep. Usually what we want to do is we just want to build our tents. When God's presence shows up, what we want to do is we want to um, be like transfiguration, like Peter, and build tents there and just remain right there. But God wants us to move past that for now and to feed a sheep. Do you guys ever feel just participating? Sometimes we get stuck in the grace. Like, it's all about God's grace, but yet sometimes we get stuck in it. Anyone? Maybe I'm preaching to myself today, and that's okay. Because only if there was one, it's all about God's grace, so I'm not preaching works. It is all about it. But what I see in Scripture is it causes movement as well. So following Jesus means that our priorities will radically change. Instead of serving ourselves, we will serve Christ's sheep. Our focus will not be on us but others. Never in Scripture are we told to love ourselves. I haven't read it. Now you're like, but Scripture says, love others the way that you love yourself. Yeah, Scripture didn't tell you to love yourself. Scripture and Jesus already knows how much you love yourself. I love myself a lot. So Scripture never tells us to love ourselves. But there is more than just commissioning going on here. 
There is forgiving and there is restoring Peter. What happens here is first, Peter gained firsthand knowledge of the mercy of Jesus. Peter can now teach people about the mercy of Jesus. Peter doesn't have to walk in the guilt of his past. He doesn't have to tell people to try to earn it. He can tell people it's all about God's love and mercy. And that's what it's about today. Every bit of it is about God's love and mercy today. All appropriate ministry is out of a place of humility because it's from one imperfect sinner to another. Amen? None of us are perfect, so it comes out of a place of humility. Just as Jesus was gracious to restore Peter, he is gracious to restore you and I today. He meets us in those places where we want to run from him, where we want to hide from him, where we don't feel qualified to serve him. One author says it this way, it is more than comforting to realize that it is those who have plumbed the depths of failure to whom God invariably gives the call to shepherd others. This is not a call given to the gifted, the highly trained, or the polished as such. Without a bitter experience of their inadequacy and poverty, they are quite unfitted to bear the burden of spiritual ministry. It takes a man who has discovered something of the measure of his own weakness to be patient with others such a man also has firsthand knowledge of the loving care of the chief shepherd and his ability to heal one who has come humbly to trust him and him alone. Therefore, he does not despair of others, but looks beyond sinfulness, willfulness, and stupidity to the might of an unchanging love. The Lord Jesus does not give the charge, be a shepherd to my lambs, on hearing Peter's self-confident affirmation of undying loyalty. But he gives it after he utterly failed to keep his vows and has wept bitterly in the streets of Jerusalem. Amen. One more time. Just this one paragraph. The Lord does not give the charge, be a shepherd to my lambs, on hearing Peter's self-confident affirmation of undying loyalty. I don't <laughs> fake it till you make it. No. You ain't going to make it until you fail. You're not going to make it until you discover that God in the, in the pits of hell picked you up and saved you that every attempt that you've ever made pales in comparison to the blood of Jesus. So it's not about how confident you can say you're a Christian. It's not about how confidently you can quote scripture. Jesus never commissions anyone based upon that. But he commissions on hearing Peter's cell. No, yeah. But he gives it after he utterly failed to keep his vows and wept bitterly in the streets of Jerusalem. So I want to ask you, how many of you today feel like a failure? Feel like a failure? That life beats us up, that we, we can put on this show of having it all together, but deep down inside we're hiding, I feel like a failure. I feel like a failure. And then your pastor from the pulpit is like, but if you love God, you're going to do stuff, so do more. And then some of you walk out of here feeling like a failure even more. And I'm sorry for that. It's never the intent when we use God's word. There's a caution that if we love God, we are going to do these things. But it's never about how good you can become it's about God using unqualified, humble people to obey him.
See, Peter wouldn't have been used and couldn't have been used and couldn't have been restored unless he took that step. Amen? So I just wanted to ask this today is, do you need restored today? Who in here needs restored today? He gave Peter another chance to serve him and to die for him. He's offering you another chance today. The failure that you committed this week or last year or 10 years ago, 30 years ago, the failure that keeps on being an aroma of I'm not qualified. God wants to meet you here today and say, I'm commissioning you, my child. Amen? Let's close our eyes. Yeah, I just want to provide an opportunity of movement again today. I'm a firm believer that repentance, um, that movement comes from that. So I just wanted to ask if any of you guys feel like a failure today, feel like you can't be used by God, or not even that you can't be used by God, but you're not effective as you should be for God. And you just want his mercy and his grace to pour on you right now. I pray that you would, or I just ask that you would stand up. If you, if you feel like a failure and you need restored today. That's a strong word. You're not a failure. But if you feel that way today, stand up so that we can pray that you're restored. Amen. People are standing up in the back. Stand up as you feel. Amen. Eyes closed still. Now just for other ones, stay standing. If you just recognize that, that you need to be to this place of being restored, being restored to this relationship with Christ, that you want to be commissioned, that you want to feed his sheep, I pray that you would stand up. And then in the last one, if you've never really experienced God's grace, his mercy, and you want to experience that today, just God, I, I want to know you more. I pray that you would stand. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you set Peter free and that you commissioned him through his, the darkest hour of his life. Father, I pray that your mercy and your grace would pour on us right now to commission us, to set us free, to speak over our life that we are not a failure at being a parent, that we are not a failure at being a son or daughter. Father, that we are not a failure as your child, but you're calling us to take a step towards you today. I ask that you would do your work in us. Father, help us know what steps you're asking us to take to feed your sheep this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to read the rest of the chapter, and then we're going to get out of here. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me.
You see that again? Jesus has almost exactly replicated the scene by which he first called Peter. Follow me. What he is completely saying is, yes, you have sinned, but now you are restored. And Jesus comes to you today, yes, we have sinned, yes, we can be restored. But Peter had to do something. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it? What is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple um, would not die. But Jesus did not say that. He would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did not, uh, sorry, Jesus did many things, many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen? That is the conclusion of our book of John. So your reminders of sin no longer have to be about guilt. Rather, they can be about Jesus' forgiveness. Amen? Next time that reminder comes up about how worthless you feel or your sin, remember Jesus' forgiveness. God bless you guys, and I will see you next week.